Paratruth Radio is a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts on KillerPodcast.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Paratruth Radio right here on Blog Talk Radio at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, my name is Justin. I'm waiting for my co-host, Eric, to get on, so we'll wait for just a few seconds while I do some introductions here. Um, we are on Facebook. We are on Twitter. Uh, we have a new Indiegogo campaign going on right now to raise funds to up the uh, ante for our show here and make it much better for our listeners. So uh, go ahead and check that out. And um, I'll have the link in our chat room here. Um, In just a minute. And you guys can check that out. Um. So there you go there. Um, also, um, we've got a contest going on today. Uh, we're going to be giving away a co- autographed copy of uh, Banshees, Werewolves, Vampires, and Other Creatures of the Night uh, by Varla Ventura, who is our guest tonight. Um, so stay tuned in for that. Um, Eric's having some technical difficulties at the moment, so I'm just going to get started. So, uh Varla, are you with me? I am. All right, I'm Barla. here. Yeah. <laughs> Thank Hello. You for being on the show. <laughs> um, yeah. So thank you for having me. For everybody Happy who to be here. is out there listening um, and don't know anything about you or your uh, work, so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, All right. Well, you mentioned the title of one of my books, Banshees, Werewolves, Vampires, and Other Creatures of the Night. Um, I also wrote a book about mermaids, um, facts, fictions, and um, myths about mermaids. And prior to that, um, I had two books called The Book of the Bazaar and Beyond Bazaar, which are basically collections of freaky trivia. And... um, that's that's me in a nutshell. I love freaky trivia. I love um, uh, freaky creatures, ghost stories, um, cemeteries, um, all kinds of uh, bizarre and unusual things. And I kind of uh, spend a lot of time reading and looking for um, places that are strange or um, events that are unusual and collecting people's stories. Well, then you're our type of people because that's what we've been into for years now. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think we're we're well matched. <laughs> All right, welcome, Eric. Hey, what's going on? <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> oh goodness! Yeah, I had way too many applications open up here, and everything froze up on me. Well, technical difficulties happen in this industry, so especially yeah. using the internet. I and, thought you were going to say you had way too many drinks. Oh no, no, <laughs> I don't. I don't drink. <laughs> oh, okay, that's what they all say. <laughs> <sighs> so, um, in the book, you mentioned that um, your publisher had wanted you to do this book and uh, look into these different uh, writings and whatnot. So. What personally prompted you, other than your personal interest in these different things? So the fir- I had written the first, the book of the bazaar, which which was kind of one of those things where you know I'd always been a person loved reading, you know, like Ripley's Believe It or Not, and watching you know those shows when I was a kid, and just kind of um, looking for freaky and ironic news stories, and um, and so. Someone had said to me, like, at a party, like, why don't you, you know, just, like, spouting off these facts. Why, why don't you, have you ever thought of putting those in a book? And so I did, and I had so many of them that I actually ended up with two books, and both of those books were successful enough that the publisher gave me sort of a new project after that, and that project was to kind of comb through um, old uh Old, old books, old um, public domain websites, um, uh, volumes of what I like to call forgotten lore, looking for 
um, a couple different things in two different categories. One was called Paranormal Parlor, and the other was Magical Creatures. And what we did is we published a series of short ebooks that are still available, um, digital only, and um, kind of launched this, uh, um, you know, for, forgotten freaky stories. Um, and and of those, you know, I had as I was going through, there were some that really stood out to me that I just absolutely loved. And so after that had happened, I sort of went to them and said, what, what would you think if we put these into print? Because, you know, I'm a print gal and I love print. Mm. <laughs> and um, not that I don't want you to buy the ebook, Of course I do. I understand <laughs> the need for it. But, you know, I love that sort of tactile feeling. And they had done such a beautiful job with the first two books with the artwork and the, you know, fancy little flaps and all these nice things that made it a book that I was really proud of. And so um, they said, yeah, let's do, let's do Mermaids first because that seems to be the one of the digital books that are that's selling the most. And then, you know, dealer's choice for the second one. And I was like, Banshees. <laughs> and they said, Banshees, you can't do a whole book on Banshees. No one knows what a Banshee is. And I was like, all right, Banshees, werewolves, and vampires. I said, okay, okay. But I, but I insisted on putting Banshees first because they're, they're just totally underrated and they're just so scary and horrifying, way scarier than vampires and werewolves. So, um, so that's kind of how these two books, I actually was almost working on them simultaneously. They came out within just a few months of each other. Uh, which was kind of intense, and I don't recommend that. If anyone ever asks you to do that, just buy yourself some time because you hardly catch your breath with one. It was like the mermaids came out in the beginning of summer, and then banshees came out in time for the fall, and um, there was just no real break in between. But I'm not complaining. Yeah. No, it was it was it was wonderful, <laughs> and I was really happy to be able to have all these um, projects to work on and um, these beautiful books at the at the end of it. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of how, how they happened. Well, me and Eric have, uh, done Banshees on prior shows that we had before. And, um, I agree that it's one of the underrated topics in paranormal talk because it's, I mean, to me, it's one of those ones that, everybody doesn't know what a banshee is. They're like, what's a banshee? And it comes from Irish folklore. And um, most of the time it's associated with announcing death in whatever family it's it's connected to. But um, you had a couple other stories in there that were interesting, uh, like the malevolent banshee. And that kind of caught my attention. Yeah, well, the thing about banshees, uh, and which sets them apart from something maybe like a, a regular ghost or a werewolf or a vampire, um, you know, most people don't go out hunting or looking for or fetishizing banshees because the thing about banshees is that if you hear them or you see them, it is foretelling death or illness, and it's usually not yours. It's usually someone that you love. Or you know, or someone that that is close within your family. I've even read that if it's uh, if you see one, it's going to be closer in your family, and if you hear one, it means you know could be someone sort of in your greater circle. So it's mm-hmm. not exactly something that you want to go and and seek out, like you know the yeti or or anything like that. I mean, right. if you see a banshee, you are totally screwed. So <laughs> you know. <laughs> so it's got that element to it. And then the other element that I found completely heart-wrenching about the Banshee is that a lot of legends point to Banshees being women who either died in childbirth or more often their children preceded them in death and they died of mourning. And so either they killed their children accidentally or on purpose or their children died and they, you know, sort of sort of wasted away. And then that sound that you hear, that Banshee scream, is very akin to um, Irish keening, which is sort of the uh, traditional way of mourning. So it's got all of these layers of just like, oh, 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 every time you read a banshee story. And then, but there are some banshees that, because they kind of straddle the world of fairies and ghosts, which is true of a lot of the traditional Irish creatures of the night, um, they 
they kind of there is a little bit of a trickster element there's a little bit of that like don't get drunk and stumble down to the crossroads kind of um uh warning element of the, some of the stories and certainly some of the accounts that people had and um the malevolent banshee which just comes in basically just is like a tornado in your house and breaks all your fine china and just destroys everything in your house and then leaves and you never even see it you might not even hear it you just know it's been there and you know that you know you did something wrong or someone messed up and um that's your that's your payback all right eric did you have any questions uh not at the moment actually <laughs> well yeah, I'm, I'm waiting <laughs> we got werewolves we got vampires we got i know i know <laughs> Um, a couple yeah. of the other creatures that uh, you wrote about, other than the the top three, um, were uh, the Boggle, the Changelings. Um, what prompted you to add those to this book? Well, I actually had a lot more than that in in doing the research for the um, magical creatures ebooks. I had a whole collection of pukas and goblins, and I've always been, I've just always been fascinated with goblins. I think it's because when I was a kid, if anything ever went missing in the house, my mom would just say, oh, it must be the house goblin. <laughs> and uh, so I always kind of just had in my head, like, that, you know, goblins are completely real and living among us, and you have to, like, leave them out little little treats and things. Um, I even put together a whole collection of, like, sort of the Scandinavian Christmas troll and all of these kind of bizarro creatures that... Um, appear around the same time as um, Santa and and um, some of the other like Christmas traditions. Um, so I just wanted to include a few other creatures beyond um, the top three. So I kind of had to narrow it down. But yeah, changelings are very very scary. Um, they're scary if you're if you're a parent and you're worried that your child's going to be stolen by the fairies. They're scary in that way. They're not like quite as threatening or um, foreshadowing as a banshee. Um, pukas are fantastic. Pukas are, if you're familiar at all with the, you know, the story of Harvey, that great old film starring uh, Jimmy Stewart, and then of course it was a, a play where he's and, and then Donnie Darko is actually kind of a uh, twist on that, where he's he's oh, okay. he's basically followed everywhere by this giant white rabbit in the in harvey and that's harvey and he's the town drunk and no one believes him and uh, you know he has these whole conversations and everyone thinks he's just crazy and it's sort of this puka that just keeps appearing kind of just to drive him crazy and they're also kind of there to teach you a lesson and i think that that's that's one thing that is very true throughout um all of the you know i read a lot of I would say the majority was like banshees was um were Irish, Welsh and um Scottish and then the, it, it technically if you ask an Irish person especially a banshee is is only they only exist in Ireland. Right. And all the other variations of something much like a banshee goes by a different name and as a counterpart to a banshee and fits a banshee description but technically um, you know, you would if, if you're talking about a banshee, you're talking about this sort of Irish kind of wild um, fairy warning ghost that's roaming out there. Um, so there's, you know, there's just all of these great kind of creatures, and a lot of them intersect, and um, and that happened even with mermaids. I uh, one of the reasons I did the mermaid book is I just kind of wanted to kind of reveal the darker side of mermaids to a certain extent, just, you know, not have this um, this very sort of fantastical idea that we have, this very romantic idea of mermaids, um, and just talk a little bit more about how, you know, desperate they are and how, how much they seek to kill you and suck you under and, um, you know, mess with your mind and do all kinds of <laughs> crazy, <laughs> freaky things like that. <laughs> no. I got a question now, Justin. <laughs> well, you brought up Donnie Darko. I knew you were going to voice something no. about that. 
Actually, I'm not I know, right? <laughs> no, I'm not talking about Donnie Darko. I find Donnie Darko to be one of the scariest movies I've ever watched. <laughs> Actually, it's the saddest. It makes me cry every time I see it. So, um, so we're gonna stay away from that topic. <clears throat> um, but in regards to the Banshee, I mean, it hasn't really left uh, the Irish. You know, it's kind of been focused just on the Irish and Scottish. Uh, but we have other spirits and/or creatures that are out there that are very similar to the Banshee, uh, such as the Lady in White, and Black Dogs, both of which have been considered uh, omens of death. Now, in your own opinion, would you consider these three particular spirits uh, to be one and the same and appearing to different people in different uh, disguises, or do you think that they're separate entities that are just for whatever reason common on some level? Well, if you're if you're talking about regionally, I mean, I'm a modern woman. I I, I think I would accept the term banshee for um, something that behaved much like a banshee, but was found, you know, in the southwest. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I've I've um, heard from many people who will call in and say, you know, when the last time I was on coast to coast, we talked about banshees in this. This woman called in and talked about, um, I think it was in, I want to say it was in Colombia. There was this whole myth about this this creature that, you know, kind of came through and, and when you heard it, it was, you know, Ill, illness came came through the town after that. And so there's, there's counterparts. And I think that, um, you know, terminology-wise, I would probably refer to those as banshees as banshees or banshee-like creatures. Mm-hmm. But I don't think they're all one big, massive entity that just appears here and there. I do not think that. There's not like like a, this is not the mountains of madness, and there's not some sort of rising thing underground just poking up here and there. I think they're, um, you know, they, they, they're connected to the history of a place and connected to the, the mythology of a place. So... Um, it wouldn't be the same the same thing appearing, you know, a, the black dog that's appearing like on the shores in France is not going to be the same banshee that's rattling your windows, um, uh, you know, in in some village in Ireland. So, mm-hmm. while I think that they could be classified as the same types of creatures, I I think they're individual entities, which of course makes them more frightening because they. You know, there's more of them. <laughs> right. <laughs> Everywhere. Uh, all right. Well, I think we'll take our first break here. Folks, you're listening to Paratruth Radio right here on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, if you have any questions for us or the guests, you have our call-in number, which is 914-205-5558. Or you can hop in our chat room and give us the question that way. Uh, we're going to have Eric's Random Fact of the Day and some music, and we'll be right back. Are you ready? Are you prepared? What if some cataclysmic event shook your every foundation? Would you and your family know what to do? My name is Jacqueline Druga, host of the Apocalypse Dennis Show. Join me every Thursday evening, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Prepper Broadcasting Network. Prepperbroadcasting.com, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. We're there for your survival needs. considered one of the fastest moving sources known to mankind. In fact, sound usually travels around 768 miles per hour, or in other words, about one mile in five seconds. However, did you know that there's a source here on our planet that moves even faster than sound? That source is light. In fact, when comparing light to sound, it's like measuring a peanut to an elephant. Did you know that light can actually travel at speeds of 186,000 miles per second? In case you didn't know, that's actually about 671 million miles per hour.
History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. My name is Justin. And I'm Eric. And uh, we are Paratooth Radio. And if you're just joining us, welcome. Uh, we are talking to our special guest, Varla Ventura. Varla, are you still with us? I am. All right. Um, we've been talking about banshees um, quite a bit because that's the beginning of the book. Um, so um, let's get a little bit into some of the other people that – or people, creatures of uh, of the book. Um, one of the ones that me and Eric have loved for years now is <clears throat> is the werewolves. And um, as you put in the book, uh, werewolves are the, the underrated out of the werewolves and vampire uh, connection. Um, and I think that vampires have become more of a sex symbol than werewolves had, even with the Twilight Saga. Would you agree on that? Oh, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. They've got a, um, I mean, vampires have this kind of lusty kind of element to them. And I think that relates to all of the, um, you know, the blood mythology and the idea of the bite on the neck and all those kind of things can sort of invoke, I think people, almost, you know, fantasize about being a vampire or having a vampire or being a vampire's victim. Um, and with werewolves, I think, and it definitely has a lot to do with the sort of more dog-like qualities of the werewolves, but also some of the ways that a werewolf transforms. I think we have, we're sort of more sympathetic toward the werewolf, and we almost feel a little sorry for it because, you know, a lot in a lot of stories, even some of the old old um, myths, you have this this person who who can't help what happens to them, and very often they will you know remove themselves from the village or take themselves away from the woman that they love because they're this they become this hideous beast 
and you know, in the light of the full moon. And so they're they're sort of conscious but out of control. And um, it, but they're conscious of the fact that they can become out of control. And so there's this kind of really interesting dynamic that a lot of the stories have, and that I think we, you know, culturally that the the way that they kind of play into um, that that world that's um, so different than you know something like a vampire. I agree. Um, <laughs> Now, Eric, why don't you yeah. go a little bit to your expertise uh, on your side of the spectrum for our show? My side of the spectrum. Um, <clears throat> okay. So, Barlow, with this show, I don't know if you've done any much research on our show and what we do, uh, but Justin and I have two very different perspectives. Uh, he has his worldview, and I have a Christian worldview. And so throughout a lot of my research, and that's not just like reading books and internet searches and stuff like that, but actually doing investigations and a number of other studies, I've come to the conclusion that any and all spirits that we encounter here on earth, whether they're uh, residual type hauntings, whether they're banshees, whether they're uh, even like vampires and werewolves and so on and so forth, have are in some sense demonic entities Um, only simply because I am a true believer of the scriptures and what it says that to be away from the body is to be in the presence of God which means that when we die the spirit goes straight to heaven Um, now in regards to the banshee and this could go along with the werewolves and stuff like that too but in your book uh, you wrote that some banshees or maybe I'm mistaken, maybe it's all banshees, uh, were humans at one point, and they have died and become this creature of the night. Uh, how is it that you think that a uh, person, I guess, a human spirit, would cross over and then become something so hideous and come back and be able to uh, discern or decipher when someone's about to die and be able to warn them? Well, this is the thing about banshees and banshees in particular. And I think you also have to take into account that in Ireland, so much of the traditional mythology that goes back, you know, thousands of years before Catholicism and what we read today that is layered in with so much of the, of the, of the, you know, Catholic beliefs in, in Ireland, that there's a lot of, you will see, I think you will see some overlapping and some similarities in in that idea that, um, you know, it's a demonic entity or it's in purgatory or kind of there's there's some overlaying of, of myths. I'm sure you've, you've found that, that, oh, yeah. that you can kind of apply that cross-culturally, you know, that oh, many different cultures have these different beliefs that can kind of layer over each other. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting about the Banshees is that – so traditionally, a traditional banshee um, is actually not once was human, but was a, um, but was a, by the Irish definition, is basically it's, a, it's of the fairy mound. So it's sort of just this like elemental entity that, you know, has always existed. Now, many of the stories, and in particular, the stories that were written down from the oral tradition, but, but transposed into books at the turn of the 18th and 19th century. Um, William Butler Yeats was heavily involved in this sort of, um, uh, and of course the early 20th century as well, was was heavily involved in documenting what he called tales of the Irish peasantry. Mm -hmm. And in those stories you hear a lot of the idea that a particular family, and of course considering that once you know, in Ireland, there were only like six clans, so it was easier to to say yes. This this banshee was inherited from family to family and and passed down from generation to generation. In in a lot of these stories, you have um, you know you have the O'Rourke's, the O'Reillys, and they have a particular banshee that you know their grandfather saw, their great great grandfather saw. They can't even remember not ever having this banshee in their family history. And some, some of those stories talk about 
this inherited kind of warning ghost that follows them from castle to castle or from um, generation to generation. They talk about it being um, a ghost that became that sort of became a ghost kind of in, in purgatory, and it usually has to do with dying in childbirth or dying, um, you know, of sadness because you killed your own child, like something really, really horrific. Mm-hmm. Now, but but I do want to clear something up about banshees. While they, they're, they're sort of those malevolent ones that will come and, like, basically like trash your house or you know trash your apartment it's like a really bad ex-boyfriend they <laughs> definitely like they, <laughs> they aren't they themselves are not evil a banshee is not evil it's not bringing death to you it's not bringing a pox upon you it's not there to terrorize you really it's just sort of can't really help it just sort of representing and giving you a warning of something that you really don't have control over, which is why I think so. the idea of a banshee is so terrifying because it, there's nothing you can, you can do about it. You can't go and, like, burn a bunch of incense and, like, hope for the best. Now, also keep in mind that, um, you know, sightings of banshees would often be before, you know, maybe like a a child would die and the child would die the next day, but that child's been ill and everyone in the village knows that that child's been ill. And then Mm -hmm. there's a certain person, maybe they were a seer or a particularly sensitive person, but they would say, okay, well, I saw the Banshee and then everyone kind of, kind of knows. It's very interesting because I think what we have is we have most of the accounts that we have are sort of, um, have a sort of Victorian element to them, which is not necessarily what you would get if you were walking the hills and someone was telling you what their father had told them and what that, what what their grandfather had experienced. So you definitely have some, um, you know, there's a lot of variation there. But mm-hmm. I definitely do want to. I don't think that they are. Um, I mean, just like you might kind of feel sorry for a werewolf or something that you. There, there's this idea that you know they're kind of trapped. They're they're in limbo. But personally, I don't think that they are humans that didn't make it make it to the other side. I think they are um, something supernatural. Okay. But I have a really fun fact for you that you'd probably appreciate being of a. Um, having a Christian worldview and being interested in werewolves. Okay. Um, you, and you may already know about this guy, but there was a man, his name was Sabine Baring Gould, and he is most famous for having written the hymnal Onward Christian Soldiers. Mm-hmm. He also was a believer in werewolves and wrote probably the single most extensive volume on werewolves that's in existence. It's really, really long. It's um, available, and I excerpted some of it in my book, but it's available in its entirety. Um, it's in the public domain, so you can go to, like, Gutenberg.org, and he spells it funny. It's W-E-R-W-O-L-V-E-S, I think, but there, it might be with an S, but it's, it's mm-hmm. Sabine Baring Gold. And he traveled the world. And in particular places where there were a lot of werewolf stories, which tended to be in the Nordic countries and um, um, Eastern Europe, places where basically you would find wolves more frequently. And um, he has a lot of very, very interesting things to say. He gets into the psychology of it. Um, It's it's actually really a fascinating read. Um, It's a little bit like thick to read because it's yeah. you know he wrote it I think in 18 I want to say like 1882 or something was when he completed it and he he wrote several other things he wrote some of the um uh a book about the gospels and um so, some other works and he was widely published but this he wasn't very known for and of course he probably kind of kept it on the on the down low a little bit because you know he didn't want to be um laughed out of out of uh society, but um, he's got some really interesting things to say, one of which is that we all as humans have the capacity to be werewolves, 
and that anyone who has ever had a moment of rage or a moment of fury can relate to that idea, that kind of idea of seeing red and just turning into a beast, and that because we all have that capacity, he actually makes the argument that 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 is evidence for werewolves existing and for man being able to transform into a beast or woman being able to transform into a beast to to that extent. Right. But he really gets into it, and you can tell he believes in werewolves when you're reading it, but it's not because he just sort of read something or is listening to hearsay. I mean, here's a guy that's traveling all over the world, um, you know, as a minister. I think he was a minister. He's a reverend. And he, you know, that, and that's what he did. And then, you know, he'd interview people on the side and spent many years collecting this. I think it's like a 600-page volume of works wow. on, on werewolves. It's, it's incredible. It is incredible. I mean, that, that's... Well, one, that's a lot of pages. <laughs> it's a lot of pages. You can, you can, but you can get it for free, and you can read it at your leisure. So. Yeah. Um, well, one thing about werewolves, which, well, first and foremost, what I found very interesting was when you wrote um, in the book that some people feel remorse for werewolves, which is new to me, actually, because I've never heard anyone say that before. Um, just for the fact that what werewolves... Uh, tend to be, you know, or what they tend to represent, this evil creature that kills and slashes and so on and so forth. Um, but the one thing that I've noticed about all my research on werewolves <clears throat> is not so much an actual physical human turning into this wolf-like creature that actually looks like a wolf, but it's more of a mental state and more of a figurative explanation of what people can become. And I think like at one point, especially back uh, in the 16, 17, 1800s, People saw wolves a lot in the countryside, and then we would have these serial killers, and they would more or less compare the two. I mean, you see what wolves do to uh, livestock and children back then, and then you see what these serial killers do. And the best explanation would be that these serial killers were indeed werewolves. Uh, But I did notice that in your book, I can't remember the exact story, but there was a mentioning about someone named... uh, Peter, I think, and someone else, they were arrested and thrown in prison, and they were walking around on all fours on their hands and their uh, feet, I believe. Yeah, okay, yeah, so there's a lot of, um, there, there are a lot of similarities to um, identifying people as werewolves. It's around the same time that, you know, we're talking like the 1600s, people were identified as werewolves, vampires, or witches. Right. And they were usually, you know, burned or killed for one of those things. So I absolutely agree. There's definitely this element of, like, that was just, like, some crazy guy turned into that, you know, you, of, of what you see. Or also, you know, you have that whole, the whole ergot element, which spawned the witch craze, where people mm-hmm. were eating this, you know, this rye that had this mildew on it that was causing, you know, it was in the everyday diet and it was causing people to hallucinate and see things. And now mm-hmm. we can kind of like find these parallels. And so I think that that's definitely happened a lot to werewolves and to vampires. And, um, you know, I think that that, that's, that was really common and that there were also certain traits that people might might exhibit and I think and that's one of the things that um, in that big book that Sabine Baron Gould wrote he's he's talking about that element that a serial you know in in its worst this this form becomes a serial killer and someone who transforms and is no longer human because you're not you're not on this level anymore you've gone somewhere else and you've become some kind of beast you've become some kind of creature Mm-hmm. Right. And so um, so there's there's that. And then there are also like a bunch of things that can happen to you physically that have to do with your hormones or your genetics or possibly even your diet that would cause you to like grow excessive hair or, you know, there's actually a clinical um, diagnosis of lycanthropy where somebody just thinks that they're mm-hmm. a werewolf and mm-hmm. You know, they kind of go crazy and scratch themselves and gallop around on all fours. There was an instance of a woman um, that uh, was arrested for being a werewolf. And what happened is 
they, you know, the, the authorities came to her house and her husband had basically been like stabbed and quartered and she was just sitting there, you know, mm-hmm. and they said, what, you know, what happened? And she said, Oh, I don't know. I, I don't know. You know, I, I, I just, I just woke up like this and, but she admitted to having done it and she was just in this rage. We call that temporary insanity now. And then, of course, someone found a bag that had, you know, um, a tuft of wolf hair and uh, um, some claws. So it, that was evidence enough that she was under the spell or, or had become a werewolf, and then she mm-hmm. was arrested and, of course, um, tried and, and killed for or, or um, hung for being uh, admitted, admittedly being a werewolf. But, of course, we have, you know, all those kinds of things, like it was – dark back then there wasn't a lot of communication there was a lot of freaky creatures in the woods that you know you did not want your children going out and so we we build these stories up to keep everyone close to the campfire and to keep everyone close and not wandering oh, yeah. you know through the woods to grandmother's house <laughs> so there's you know there's a lot of, so there's there's a lot a lot at at play with um all of these myths and a, and a lot of levels of how they've become what they are today and what they once were. And, um, uh, but I definitely think that with the werewolf, we, we have sort of a different relationship than we do with a witch or a vampire or a ghost. Um, and, you know, some of that is like just an example, examples like Teen Wolf or something like that, mm-hmm. where he just is like kind of lovable, but actually, you know, really can't help himself. And it's that idea, yeah. that idea that you can't, you can't help yourself. You go beyond the point of, of having control. And that's when you transform. Right. And there are also a lot of traditional cultures that would, that would, you know, don skins of animals and um, go into trance in order to transform and go into another, uh, go, you know, go onto another plane and communicate with another, you know, with a, a spirit entity and, you know, work everything out for, um, you know, the good of the, of the village or the, the family. So there's a lot of examples yeah. of sort of um, shamanism and werewolves and that sort of, um, that kind of trance or, um, transforming, uh, having a lot, uh, a lot in common, and sometimes these stories just get sort of muddled, and then it becomes, ah, what? There's a werewolf, you know, right. on the hill, and everybody, cool. everybody runs screaming. And you think of like Native American culture, you know, when they would go to war, some of them would wear uh, wolf skins uh, just as a fear factor as well, and you know, over time people would see that as this half man, half wolf type beast uh, coming at them and just rageful and tearing people apart. Yeah, definitely, definitely, and and um, would invoke a certain level of fear in order to connect the human, um, the human population with the spirit population, and mm-hmm. that was kind of what their role was. And this was, yeah, Native Americans. It was also in traditional um, pagan cultures in Ireland and throughout Europe. And I'm sure that in the you know 1600s, there's a bonfire up on the hill, and some guy dressed in like a crazy straw costume. And then the next day, someone's sheep is dead. It's like, you know, it's easy for those things. We can see now how these things could be, um, could easily have become a craze or um, something that would would cause panic and and pandemonium. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things, going back to more of a spiritual side of things, when you think of cryptids and you do the research, you start to notice especially when it comes to witches in particular, and you think of the Salem Witch Trials back in 1692, uh, but also werewolves and vampires, one of the common things that you read in a lot of uh, accounts is an idea that the devil is behind it in some way. Uh, There's been stories in regards to the Salem uh, incident where these witches would meet up with the devil, and they even confessed that they would meet up with the devil. and just thinking, like, how many thousands of people were accused and killed for being one of these, your choice of whichever creatures or witches. Um, <clears throat> one of the things is you think the devil is behind these particular people. But what I've noticed is 
these were dark times. There wasn't much, like you said, there wasn't much communication amongst the people. They were kind of scattered in certain areas. And it almost seems like the devil had more of a foothold on the people accusing other people of being witches and these cryptids. Uh, How many thousands of people do you think were actually innocent but murdered for being falsely accused, you know? Oh, I I would venture to say all of them. Yeah. I mean, they may not all have been saints, but, you know, most people who are accused of being, I mean, if I, I think that's a, that's a, the idea that the devil is real and is responsible for this is an individual's viewpoint mm-hmm. that they are layering over the practices of another person. And so it's easy to accuse someone of, you know, being in cahoots with the devil, which is where traditionally people with power because they knew how to heal because they, you know, were considered wise people in villages. They often had land. They had good relationships with, you know, the upper class. They had, you know, there there are a lot of things that they had that the church wanted. And so it's easy to, to, Say it was the devil, but as you said, like who who's the devil in this situation? Who's really behind? Um, you know, if the devil is the is the entity that makes these horrible things happen, whose side is he really on? In in in, in cases like that, when you know, twelve year old girls are hung because they they can swim. Well, I mean. I don't think he's on anyone's side but his own. <laughs> Simple as that. And the whole point right. was to well, there you, go. <laughs> you know, get all these people against each other and cause all these issues and see the murder and the death and turn everyone against each other. And that's what his plan was back then. Uh, and we still see that today in certain areas. Um, yeah. And we see how, like, all this stuff back in the 16 and 1500s and so forth still affects us today in some way. And here we are talking about it still. And yeah. oh, in definitely. a sense, Satan's still getting his glory. You know, like, oh, yeah, I did that. Remember back in 19, <laughs> 1692? That was me, you know? And it's just like... <laughs> what? Word? You know. That was awesome, right? <laughs> it's just like, that, that's just ridiculous. It's amazing. All right, well, we are getting close to the end here, Varla, so I wanted to give you a chance to tell everybody where they can find you and where they can find your books and all that good stuff. Thank you, yeah. Um, well, you can just go to my website. It's myname.com, so it's varlaventura.com. Um, you can find my books anywhere. Books are sold, so whatever your, you know, choose your poison, however you like to buy your books. You like to go into a regular bookstore. If they don't have it, I'm sure they'd be happy to order it for you. <laughs> um, I have several books out. All the links are up on my website. Um, I keep, you know, I update when I'm going to be on cool shows like this. And um, people can also contact me if you have a story that you would like to share or um, a topic that you want to discuss, especially anything that um, relates to some of the stuff we were talking about tonight or you've heard a banshee or, you know, your father was a werewolf or any of those fun things, you can just contact me. It's my name at Gmail. Um, so Varla Ventura, those are V's people, V's. <laughs> well, I am putting them in our chat room for anybody who wants to take a look. Um, thank you so much, Varla. You've been a great mm-hmm. guest. Um, and Yeah, thank I, you so much for having me. You guys have been very interesting, and I appreciate all the um, – the, uh, uh, questions and interesting uh, topics that you brought up. All right. Well, hopefully we'll have you on again and you have yourself a great evening. All right. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. All right, folks. That was Barla Ventura, author of Banshees, Werewolves, Vampires, and Other Creatures of the Night. Um, We did not get to our giveaway like we were going to just because time kind of got away from us and sorry um, no she was a great guest (laughs) we needed to keep her talking because she had a lot of information and one of the um viewpoints that we haven't really talked about yet on banshees and whatnot um, not together anyway 
Yeah, and um, kind of interesting to hear her perspective on your perspective because she didn't shoot it down, saying that it can't be something demonic in nature, but explained what she knew through lore and then her own personal beliefs as well. Right, right. Well, yeah, and, you know, we're gonna, we always get that, you know. Um, yeah. It's one person's perspective via what they've learned through lore and their own perspective, and what I learned through lore and scripture in my own perspective, you know. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, as always, I'm cold. <laughs> you know, I, I, love it. I love hearing everyone's uh, viewpoints, whether they agree with me or disagree with me, because if they agree with me, that's great. If they disagree with me, then it gives me a better understanding of what other people believe, so then right, I can yeah. help, you know, it just gives us a more of an even ground to stand on and discuss these things one-on-one uh, without there being any controversy like there has been in the past. Right. Well, and that's the one thing, as we've said from the very beginning for this show, um, it's nice to have those talks with people without them being offended or basically trying to argue with you that, no, that's not demonic in nature. This is what it really is. And if you believe that, you're some crazy person that whatever. Um, Yeah. And on your other show, um, Forgotten Truth, I'm sure there was a lot of, and I know that there was a lot of people that um, kind of got on your stuff because they were of another uh, religion or mindset or whatever you want to call it. Absolutely. Um, I mean, when I was on Forgotten Truth, I spoke with a lot of pagans, uh, those who practiced paganism and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, on Forgotten Truth, it was, you know, we didn't have you on there, so it wasn't like your view plus my view, you know, so on and so forth. It's just my view. So everything was Christian 100% of the time. Um, And, yeah, I did have a lot of people get a little upset and uh, (laughs) cast down curses and so on and so forth. Or uh, threaten me with curses and stuff like that, um, and you know, fine. Lord says to bless them, um, right? And, and you know, that's cool. It's all right. Uh, I, it's I know kind of funny to say. see though, because you said that there was a lot of pagans that liked that you what you were doing as far as yes the show. Yeah, so absolutely. You know, and it, it went both ways. There's two uh, way street, and yeah, there were uh, pagans that I talked to, and I still remember some of their names. Uh, and they were very interested in what I had to say and very, uh, a lack of a better term, they were thrilled uh, that uh, they were able to talk to a Christian the way they were able to talk to me and not get all this, like, curse you, you're going to hell, blah, 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 all that crap. You know? Yeah. <clears throat> uh, it was just two people talking with two different views, and that was it. And, it, you know, it was great. It's fun talking with them. And those were the people that, uh, tune into my show every single week. And we got along and they asked questions that they were actually curious about in regards to Christianity and what my thoughts were in regards to their personal faiths and stuff like that. So it's fun. Well, I'm glad that we've had this opportunity to do this again because it's been the best part of my week seeing with school starting and everything, it gets kind of stressful. So oh, it's been a crazy week. <laughs> it's been a crazy week already. <laughs> It's going to get crazier as the weeks go on. Yeah. Oh, well. All right, folks. Um, we're going to go ahead and give away the copy, autographed copy of that book, Banshees, Werewolves, and Vampires, on our Facebook and Twitter pages. Um, so keep an eye out for that. Um, next week, we have uh, Von Brashler on. Um, where is his book? Uh, he is the author of Confessions of a Reluctant Ghost Hunter. And it'll be interesting to see what he has to say, only because... Eric and I at one point had our own paranormal investigation group, and um, he, it looks like he has a lot to say ab- about malevolent and almost demonic type uh, encounters. So sweet. Well, I look forward to it. All right, and um, I don't think after that. I think I scheduled us for talking about chupacabras and uh, maybe having (laughs) yeah and uh, maybe Cameron putting his two cents in a little bit 
with that because apparently he's very knowledgeable about Chupacabra, which is weird for a 13-year-old boy. But <laughs> anywho, he's walking down the dark path already. <laughs> Getting into um, cryptid so early. <laughs> all right, folks. Uh, you have been listening to Paratruth Radio right here on Blog Talk Radio. I'm Justin. And I'm Eric. And we will see you next week. Peace. This is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dean Archipotis, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, yeah, right? And, yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? <laughs> the Bigfoot thing is people have seen these, and, and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Chapotis. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network.